Welcome to Teaching Borderlands. This podcast series seeks to expand our vision for understanding the U.S. borderlands for teaching and theological education. I'm your host for this series. My name is Efrain Agosto. I teach New Testament studies at New York Theological Seminary, and I'm a member of the Wabash Borderlands Theological Education Grant Team. Today I have with us our uh, lead organizer for this grant, Dr. Daisy Machado. Uh, Dr. Machado is Professor of American Religious History at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. She's the author of several published works related to Borderlands history and theology, including Borderland Religion, Ambiguous Practices of Difference and Hope, which is an anthology published in 2019 that includes essays by a group of international scholars uh, that Dr. Machado edited with Dr. Tri-Give-Weiler from Norway, and Dr. Brian Turner from Australia. In this anthology, Dr. Machado also has an essay entitled Santa Muerte, a, a transgressing saint trans, transgresses borders. There's also the chapter History and Latino Identity, Mapping a Past that Leads to Our Future in the book, The Wiley Blackwell Companion to Latino Archaeology. In another anthology on religion and politics, she has the essay Border Life, and Religious Imagination, and in the co-edited volume, a, a Reader in Critical Latina Feminist Theology, she contain, it contains her critical essay, The Unnamed Women, Justice, Feminist, and the Unnamed Women. She's also author of the essay, The Southern U.S. Border, Immigration, Historical Imagination, and Globalization, in the edited volume, Rethinking Economic Globalization. Her monograph, of Borders and Margins, Hispanic Disciples in Texas, 1888 to 1945, also uh, uh, explores these important issues of education, border, and theology. Welcome, Dr. Daisy Machado. It's great Thank to have you, you yes, on this, on this podcast with me. You and I are longtime friends and colleagues. Indeed. Indeed. So I probably slip into calling you Daisy rather than Dr. the more formal Dr. Machado. Not a problem. But, uh, I appreciate uh, you coming on and joining us for this important uh, podcast. Why don't we start by asking you, uh, Daisy, to tell us a little bit about your overall experience as a theological educator, what has nurtured you, what has sustained you in this journey as an educator, particularly as it relates to our topic of teaching on the border. Sure. I made my, dis my decision to become a theological educator after having moved to Texas. And in just a few short years, I, I experienced firsthand a type of a virulent type of racism that was manifested mm. in ways that were surprising and new to me. Now, keep in mind that I grew up in New York City and I came from Cuba when I was three years old. And uh, when I was a fourth grader in public school 16 in Brooklyn, I was told to apologize to the students in the class for speaking what my teacher, my fourth grade teacher, called that nasty language. When she called me whispering to the only, only other Latina student sitting next to me in Spanish. So from early on, I learned at an early age that I really did not belong and that I was an outsider for most of the people I met, including my student, my fellow classmates and my, my teachers. When I was a social worker in New York City, and then I was also a public school teacher, I also experienced racism in my children, in the classroom, from staff, from medical doctors, other social workers, the principal, from many people. But what I experienced in Texas was a whole new reality, and it took a while 
to really wrap my head around. And I remember reading again, uh, The Invisible Man, mm. uh, Ralph Ellison. I thought to myself, why? why? Why is it that I feel like they can't see me, that they don't really see me? And what's going on here? I couldn't understand it. Since I was also at the time with my uh, denomination, my Protestant denomination, where I was ordained and where I was working in Texas, I was called a new church developer, which meant that I had been, I'd moved to Texas to begin a new Latinx con congregation for the denomination. So most of what I've experienced in those years, those early years, had to do with the folks in the church, mm. with other pastors, with denominational leaders, with committee members, with folks from the pews, and so it really just created tremendous discomfort in me. It made me feel like, you know, to question even my ability to do my work after I had been a pastor in New York City for a while. I mean, I didn't come at this new. I had experience when I moved to Texas. So I wondered, what is going on here? What is this reality going? And that's when I decided that I would be a seminary professor. <laughs> Maybe not the best decision, and someone may have come to another one, but... <laughs> <laughs> that was my decision, and I'm going to stick to it. And I, I know decided, the feeling. I know the uh, feeling. <laughs> I was, I'm going to be a seminary professor, and I'm going to meet those Euro-American students right at the beginning of their training. Hmm. I'm going to meet them. I didn't want to wait until they were eight years of pastor, until they were the moderator of the denomination, until they were chairing important committees. No, I wanted to meet them when they first got to seminary and were sitting in the classroom, in the theological classroom, and more particularly in my theological classroom. And I wanted to be able to engage them and to really challenge their ideas of what it meant to be a person who lived in the context of the borderlands. And I learned about the term borderlands when I was doing my doctoral work at the University of Chicago from my, uh, my advisor, Dr. Martin Marty. Most of you would never think of Lutheran, right? Especially Martin Marty, what he writes out. But he was such a curious mind and such a wonderful guy. And he gave me a book called Nepantla. Hmm. And he said to me, why don't you read this? It was a book of poetry. It was in Spanish and English by a Tejana poet. And he said to me, this is something that I think you'd be very interested in, given what you're doing. And the, the word Nepantla is a Nahuatl word that means a land in the middle. Mm. And that was my first encounter with this idea of this middle space, of this land in the middle. No soy de aquí, ni soy de allá. I'm not from here, I'm not from there. I'm in the middle. And it so aptly described myself as a child who came to this country at the age of three, who grew up in this in-between space, but also as a professional, as an ordained minister, and now as a, theolo a theologian and a, and a theological educator, this land in the middle. Hmm. And it became such an interesting place for me because at first uh, I found that it wasn't a place that I could be, I was restricted or I was limited because it's in the middle, because it's not first, because it's not a winner, you know, hmm. the words that we hear today all the time. But it was a place that was a freeing place because it was my place. Mm. And the people who were there understood me. I didn't have to explain myself over and over and over, which is what I did throughout my doctoral studies, which is what I did throughout my social work degree, which is what I did when I was in seminary, which is what I did when I went to denominational meetings, explaining over and over who I was, who my community was, why we mattered. I was always writing like an apology for them. You know, why are we here? Why? So, but this place in the middle is a place where I went to and I think about what sustained me was being able to be there because it was in that place that I met the most amazing people. I met people from the families and the women who worked in the maquiladoras in the northern Mexico when I took my students on border trips. 
to the activists who had made this Nepantla their space, to pastors who joined me in preaching the word from the middle, from Nepantla, to other students who took it seriously, who engaged in theological education I gave them, who wanted to make a difference and wanted to be advocates for a more just and a broad understanding of humanity and our realities. And so that's, that's what has motivated me and kept me moving. This idea that the borderlands are alive, that they're creative, they're full of energy, where you can do and you can work and you can really push for an agenda for justice and equality in, in, from a space that's very different from what would be called normative or mainline. I happen to know that uh, part of your uh, seminary teaching experience, a large part has been uh, taking those students that you wanted to uh, catch early in their careers uh, <laughs> to the border uh, uh, and, and have them also experience the kinds of things you were experiencing in this in-between space with the folks uh, who you understood and they understood you. So say a little bit about the importance of teaching on the border yeah. and of exposing or ex having students experience uh, the borderlands experience yeah. uh, uh, in theological education. You know, the most interesting thing, and I think the first shock that got to me when I went to teach for the first time in Texas was that this seminary that I went to teach in 90 years, and I had no, they had no Latino students at all. So I taught there for a total of nine years and never had a Latino student in my classroom. Wow. And I was just surprised. But again, now that I had done all my doctoral work, my writing, I had begun to think about this, I had begun to teach about this, it became more clear to me why that could be. And it was no longer wow, but hey, okay, all right, let's, let's see now how do we address this. And one of the things that I discovered, which was another surprise, was that the majority of my Euro-American students in the class and of my African-American students in the class had never been to the border, hmm. except for one student who told me that he would go there just, you know, spring break to get drunk. <laughs> I mean, this is how, I mean, really, I mean, I thought to myself how horrible, then I thought, no, but it would make sense hmm. that you, that's how you would see this border place. It was an inferior place, it was a hmm. place of transgression. And so you would go to transgress there, but you wouldn't go to engage it in a serious way. So I began to offer courses, and for the first three years about that, I taught them, the dean would not allow credit for them. He mm. told me that that wasn't real theological education. But I took the students anyway, and uh, I got, managed to get funding to get rent a van, and we drove and all of that. And uh, the students just didn't stop registering. Every year we had, you know, I limited to 12 because that's all we could fit in the van. And that's what we had until then finally it was credit worthy. Uh, but what I found was that it was a major surprise for them what was happening on the borders hmm. about the people who were there, the history that they were encountering, the religious dimension of the borderlands, uh, how much it mattered to them uh, as non-border, non you know, non-Latinos or non-Mexican-Americans or not you know, why it mattered to them. And it was just fascinating to see with, be with them, to take them, to have them experience these different places, to be there in person, to touch the ground, to be at the different sites, to engage the families living in the colonias, or to engage the activists that were fighting for medical care, for families that lived, let's say, along the border and had to travel eight hours to Galveston, the only public hospital that was closest to them. These kind of inequities that they had no idea, when it began to hit them, how they were standing in this place of dissonance and, and a place of violence, you could see the reaction, to some, you know, how some of them were so deeply affected 
and you could see them click and all of a sudden the attitudes change and the engagement became real. And so I've been doing that since about 1995, 4, 94, 95. So it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. And I would do them very frequent when I lived, when I taught in Texas. Um, and now that I've been a union for, for a number of years, I do it my border trip every other year. But it's really been amazing to have all of these students travel with me and to experience with them, to share with them, to sit with them in the evenings after we visited the detention center in Port Isabel and spoken to the guards and gone inside and seen the processing. After we sat down in, a, in, a, in, a, in an immigration court for deportation hearings, we were in Texas when all the children came. That was mm. a number of years ago now. And we went to a particular hearing where all the children, that all the, all, the, all the clients as they call them, but all the people there being deported were children. Mm. And I sat with, the, uh, with my students looking at the judge who himself you know, kept on asking the, 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 the state representative, you know, the, the person, the, the federal government who was deporting these children and asking her over and over, where are these children going? And nobody knew. And he kept on saying, so if I sign an order of deportation, where will they go? Mm. Nobody knew. Mm. And yet here was a process of deportation getting these children out. It was just unbelievable. And I think that it was these experiences that are, that, you know, you can't teach that. You can't, right, even if you, right. you can't watch a movie, nobody can, I can tell you the story, but not the same sitting there and feeling this desperation in your chest when you see the six-year-old holding all his deportation documents, you know, kind of fidgeting and playing with them, not knowing that he was being deported to what? Yeah. Nobody knew. The judge didn't know. You know, the, the immigration lawyer didn't know. Nobody knew. I mean, it was just heartbreaking. Yeah. But I think that this is what, you know, the students, I wanted them to confront that mm -hmm. and to say, look, this is what our tax dollars are doing. This is what our border is like. We went to do the, we went, we met with border patrol agents and seeing the drones and the constant drones over your head. I mean, it's really frightening. People think that drones are so funny and cute and they use them for, no, no, no. When you have these military drones flying overhead all the time, it becomes very unsettling. And, you know, you realize how much you're being watched. When we would go to the wall and they would come right away to see who we, you know, because the cameras would signal that there was someone there. And they would come with the Border Patrol cars and ask us what we were doing. And we had to show papers. And, and it became more real for the students what it was like, you know, that this is something that, uh, you know, we have a rhetoric about the nation. We have a, uh, an imaginary about what the U.S. is like. But in the border, all bets are off. Mm-hmm all bets are off. Mm. And anybody who doesn't believe that just needs to go into Harlingen, just needs to go to McAllen, just needs to go to Brownsville, just needs to go any of those small towns along the border to see. Uh, go to the international bridges and just watch what happens. And we get a sense of how in the border reality changes totally. It truly is Nepantla. Yeah. I, I, I can imagine the impact that those experiences had on Semina on everyone who goes, but uh, seminarians preparing for ministry, uh, preparing many of them to be uh, pastoral leaders in congregations in Texas and elsewhere yeah. uh, near the border. And that, that led us, right, uh, veteran theological educators, our, you and I and other members of our team, to approach Wabash about this grant to sort of uh, 
bring to other seminary, seminaries around the country. Obviously, uh, a, a small number of them, we can't, can only do so much. But could you say a bit about the project uh, uh, that we are undertaking and how we want to uh, sort of uh, see how uh, the kind of experiences you've had, others on our team have had on the border, uh, in border lands education, how we want to see that expand to other schools, uh, member schools of the uh, Association of Theological Schools. Yeah, well, you know, going so many years to the border and, and realizing that not many schools were doing that. And, and one of the things I learned quickly by the third year was that if the students wanted to go, they had to take a semester class before they went. Because mm. this is not, you know, this is not tourism. This is not theological tourism. You had to engage a semester-long class of reading and writing and being with students before you could apply uh, for me to admit you to go to the border. Because I wanted to make sure the students were had immersed themselves in readings and conversations before they went. And that got me thinking about how it is that immersion trips are done in many schools. And uh, the importance, to the need to really prepare a student for the the immersion and for the space they're going to occupy. So that they don't go at it glibly, so that they don't go at it with a sense of, you know, oh, you know, we're gonna be eating different food, we're gonna do it at night. No, 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 this is a serious kind of engagement because we're talking about the way people live, but we're also talking about a history that has continued to crush and destroy. Mm. And so for me, the, the, the project and the idea of working here was to really engage the schools in conversations about the borderlands and to engage faculty about the borderlands. I'm sure many, 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 many colleagues are interested in talking about the Bible and the borderlands and ethics and the borderland and theology and the borderlands and social work and the borderlands and, you know, pastoral care in the borderlands and, you know, uh, history and all of that. But sometimes it's just not a way of knowing how to do it. And I think that in our team, we have a variety of experiences as pedagogical experience, but also experiences with how we teach about the border that can really, that I think really help to create a unique team that can help faculty and administration in different schools to rethink their immersions, but also if they don't have it, to begin to think about the importance of immersions in the borderlands. You know, the borderlands, uh, and I use this in some of my writings, Michel Foucault describes it a heterotopia. Mm. Now, a heterotopia is not a utopia. A utopia is what you aspire to. Mm -hmm. A heterotopia exists. And in that heterotopia, you find dissonance. You find change. You find uh, constant struggle. Sometimes you find death, which has been the reality of the border for a long, long time. It's a place of great violence. And so, you know, how is it that we engage this? Because if we are about theological education that promotes an education that promotes equality and life, and the good news and you know justice and you know and, and bringing people to to a place where they can have a sense of belonging and, and ownership and home i think you can't you can't not go to the border you have to you have mm -hmm. to engage it the other thing that worries me is that as, as a historian is that this country in general politicians across the board uh, people in the State Department, it always amazes me when I read things that State Department puts out about Latin America and about, you know, the border and Central America. There just seems to be this unreal sense of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I discovered I have a class where we look at all this idea of memory, you know, and how people remember, how a nation remembers. And one of the things that we have is we have no memory. It's not that we have amnesia. Amnesia is because you have a memory and you lost it. 
In this case, we have no memory hmm. because we don't ever examine the borderlands. And I think that our schools have a wonderful opportunity for education and for expanding curriculum and for expanding pedagogy and for learning new skills, pedagogical skills, in the engaging of the borderlands precisely because they are, they are in many ways so invisible. And they allow for a creativity because you can engage it in ways that are new, that are, that, are, that are also authentic to you as the teacher, to you as the faculty person. So that what you, when you take your students, the journey is yours and it's theirs. You share mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. It's not you telling them, it's you sharing a journey. And so I think that theological education in the borderlands is just a perfect match, especially now, mm. at this time, in this century. I mean, we saw the, you know, the use of, uh, of security forces from the border, from the Department of Homeland Security going up to the Western states, to Oregon, you know, and I thought to myself, it isn't that crazy to see that happening. People were alarmed. Who are these people, these vans dressed? It isn't that surprising because that's exactly how border, borderlands security works. That's how Homeland Security works. Mm. You know, it's always clandestine. It's always behind. It's never clear. You never, you never, because... This is a region that has historically been imagined as un-American. Mm -hmm. And so if you're un-American, we have no right, we have no, no need to explain things to you. You don't belong anyway. And so, you know, we have this agitation in the country. We have this sense of disease, dis-ease mm -hmm. about the racial realities of this country. And I think that to not connect them and to see the importance of the borderlands because the borderlands are not just the southern border. It's not just Arizona, Texas, you know, New Mexico, California. The borderlands are also the Bronx, where you have tremendous large communities of people from Santo Domingo or from Guatemala or Washington, D.C., where you have a large population of folks from El Salvador. Mm -hmm. Or you have Houston, tremendous number, or Miami, people from Nicaragua, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and Venezuela. Florida, Miami area is full of people from Venezuela. So these become borderlands as well. These become places that need to be examined. And I think that for too long, uh, we in theological education have overlooked the opportunities that can be had in expanding our theological curriculums and education and pedagogy uh, by focusing on the borderlands. You, you've um, um, uh, uh, mentioned uh, your role as a historian uh, to bring back the memory. Right. How does a historian, or, or in my case, a, a biblical scholar, uh, we have practical theologians on our team and ethicists on our team, how do these traditional so-called disciplines of uh, theological education get uh, uh, shaken up to think in terms of curricular pieces, curricular change, curricular revision, uh, certainly emergent experiences that, that help change the curriculum to, uh, for example, in your case, as a, a story and history, so that, um, in fact, we might make a larger impact across the board on theological education in our schools. This is where I think that our idea on the team of visiting with schools and sitting with our, mm -hmm. our colleagues mm -hmm. comes in, because I think conversations need to be had. Mm -hmm. I think that we have to talk colleague to colleague, faculty member to faculty member, talk to deans, to people who have have in their hands the, the pedagogical future of their institutions, of how they're going to work, and engage them and help them to visualize mm -hmm. what it would look like for their context. Mm -hmm. 
because you know I, I could see and 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 I and of course I know that this is the case from experience that folks will say well you know well I'm in Atlanta you know that's uh, well when I when I was when I was in the, directing the Hispanic Theological Initiative in Atlanta in 1996. They grew, the population grew in three years of Latinx people to 250,000 and nobody knew what, knew what to do with them. Mm -hmm. And where are they coming from? So there is no such thing as being in a city or a place where you don't have a community that's a borderlands related community. And so the question is, why is it that in our historical discourse, in our historical imaginary, in our historical memory, we have not been able to create a story for these folks as well? Mm. Why haven't we been able to tell the immigrant story in a way that brings dignity, but also highlights what those communities have done to help this nation thrive. And that's where I think a conversation with colleagues, because each of our disciplines has tremendously wonderful skill sets and has methodologies. The idea is then how do we begin to fashion those or refashion them and use them for this kind of education, for an education that's focused on a community that is invisible, a community that's forgotten or ignored, but a community that continues to thrive and be vibrant and continues to contribute, even though we don't want to acknowledge it or we're not even aware of it. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the conversations where the biblical scholar can come and offer us a history, a reading of the Bible from that perspective. An ethicist can come and tell us, you know what I mean? It's just, this is where I see the practical theologian who has experience with anthropology can join the conversation and expand it by talking about the anthropology of the theology we do. These kinds of conversations are the ones that I think are exciting and I hope will ignite enthusiasm amongst our colleagues in the schools that we engage to be able to really uh, help them to think about and plan a program that would help them to really immerse and bring about immersion, but also bring about a consciousness raising of the reality of this heterotopia. Mm -hmm. You uh, noted at the beginning of our conversation that you were uh, a pastor. Uh, you also worked as a social worker in urban communities, New York City, uh, before you went to seminary and, and, and trained to be a pastor and then, of course, an academic. Besides these conversations with faculty colleagues, which I think you, it, you're right on target here of how this project can be uh, impactful, what do you hope would be the impact on uh, seminarians on, uh, in these schools that we visit or these conversations that we have with faculty, uh, folks that are training to be the next generation of pastors, religious leaders, um, and in different forms, because as we know, the, there's challenges to what it means to do congregational ministry That's right. in this day and age. So it's changing. So right. a seminary training is going to have to expand and be, That's uh, right. uh, think about different vocations that people uh, carry That's out. Right. But talk yeah. a little bit about the impact on the student, on the seminarian that we hope uh, this project will uh, yeah. uh, engender. Sure. One of the things that I've always wanted to do, and I, we tried it with my colleague uh, from Methodist School of Theology in Ohio, with uh, Dr. Tim Man Van Meter, his class and mine went together to the border. Mm. And I, what I wanted to do was see, well, what happens if we, you know, such a different setting, you know, New York, Union, and Methesco in Ohio, what happens if we bring these students together? It was a great learning experience, and we realized all the mistakes that we made and how we could have made it better, but that's how you learn. Mm -hmm. But I think it would be just wonderful, and it would have a great impact on the students to be able to engage in some kind of a seminar that would be across schools, where you would have a group of maybe 15, 20 students that would come together. Um, you know, now we do everything with Zoom. We can come together virtually 
to talk about what this kind of engagement with the borderland meets means mm. for them and the training they want to engage in. Mm. So if they want to be a pastor, if they want to be a community organizer, if they want to go on to law school, then what will it mean? And to engage them with the kind of readings, borderland reading, to engage activists and have you know time to speak with these folks. And then take this cross-section of students from maybe seven, eight schools and say, okay, now we're going to all meet on the border. Mm. And we're going to do this immersion. And what each of them will be challenged to do was, is to think about what they are experiencing and what they are envisioning and what is going to mean if they take it back to their schools. But that will require, you know, uh, you know, a lot of planning and a lot of kind of read, very selective readings and conversations and forums and groups that will really target the kind of, of conversations that are important to have before you enter a heterotopia, mm -hmm. to be able to have clarity about what it is that you're going into. Uh, so that when you see it, you can better understand it and also begin to critique it and talk about it in ways that are, and I think that for the students, I hope that there will be this opportunity and at the same time for the students to think about what the borderlands meet, meet, means for them, whether in the Bronx, mm -hmm. whether in Houston, whether in Los Angeles, whether in Chicago, you know, in all the places, Kansas City, all the places we have schools in Ohio. What does it mean to have borderlands in those areas mm -hmm. and to be able to have, be given the tools to begin to understand that and to examine it and to be able to come up with ways and methodologies for their own application to what they want to do. Yeah. And I think this cross seminary experience, which you described uh, can be very exciting. Uh, I wonder also, and, and, you know, you've been a, pro a Protestant minister and you've taught in mostly uh, Protestant seminaries, but of course, uh, the, the cross-denominational and interreligious dialogue uh, uh, has been part of your experience as well. Say a little bit, if you would, about uh, the economical, ecumenical dimension mm -hmm. of um, this project and of uh, borderlands education, theological education in general. How important is it that religious traditions uh, are talking to each other about this? And especially non-Christian traditions. Ah. And that's why I've begun to write about Santa Muerte. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, it's not, not everyone in the borderlands is Christian and not everyone is Protestant or Catholic. There are many people, and, and I've and I come across many folks along the years, who are practitioners. One of, the, uh, one of my contacts at the University of Texas in uh, Brownsville, Professor of Anthropology, a wonderful scholar, is a, a practitioner of, um, of curanderismo mm -hmm. and very much a follower of El Niño Fidencio. Hmm. And so when he told the students about his body, his spirit being lifted out, I mean, the students were, <laughs> their mouths were like, and they said to him, and you have a PhD. <laughs> he said, I do, with about 20 books that I've written. But you know what I mean? It's like, it, it shocked them into thinking sure. that the conversation about religion changes when you're a practitioner. Mm, mm. And so he was the one that took us to our curandera, and it was just fascinating. Uh, she was a materia, that's what they call a materia, and she, her body would pass the spirit of a Niño Fidencio. Mm -hmm. Niño Fidencio is one of those fascinating folk, uh, folk uh, saints, just amazing. But I think it's this kind of, of conversations we haven't had. I mean, you know, Union has a lot of interreligious dialogue, Buddhist, you know, uh, 
Hin, you know, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, but you know, we need other kinds of sure. Afro-Caribbean religions, and sure. there's also curanderismo, and then there's also many, many other pieces of that, uh, different expressions of that. And I think that you have to enter, this is what I'm saying, you just can't show up at the borderland and say, okay, here I am, I'm learning. No, <laughs> you know, you have to prepare yourself because you have to respect that you're going into people's space, into people's privacy. You know, this is where they live. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we enter the borderlands, we enter into the private spaces of people's lives. And a lot of that has to do with religious practices, a lot right. of religious practice, which is one of my articles about, I wrote about the religious imagination uh, border life. It's because of this idea of how do we see religion happening in the borderlands and in the most interesting ways uh, that have to do with liberation, mm. conversations about justice. You know, it's not just Christianity and, and uh, Islam and Jew and Judaism that talk about justice, the other other religions as well, you know, and what happens with these indigenous religions? How do we understand them? And I, I, I've, I've become aware of more and more students who are practicing mm. these uh, these more indigenous types of religion and really believe that they their lives are changing because of that. And um, I, I did a presentation on Santa Muerte at uh, Vanderbilt, the Div School, and one of the women in the audience waited with I was finished to my first lecture, and she came to show me, young Euro-American woman, she was in her early 20s, to tell me that she was a very much devoted to Santa Muerte, hmm. and came and showed me her Santa Muerte, because there's 12 different images. And she wanted to tell me the story of why Santa Muerte mattered and how happy she was mm. to know that the seminary had invited someone that gave honor to her faith. So, you know, the conversations are a multi-level and they're complex. And I think that if we enter them with an open mind, we're going to see what a rich, very rich theological setting the borderlands can be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I'm curious if, if you would like to share a little bit about more as we uh, uh, move toward the end of our conversation today about how your research and your writing uh, has uh, been uh, transformed over the years uh, because of these border uh, education experiences. Uh, you know, we, we uh, listed some of the writings at the outset of the interview, but say a, a little bit about your research and how it's been impacted by, by this work mm -hmm. and how you hope this project, uh, this specific project that we're undertaking uh, with the Wabash Grant on Borderlands Education can further uh, uh, your and our sort of effort to write and share about uh, the importance of borderlands education. So a little bit yeah. about your research more recently and publications and then where, where we're headed with this project in right. terms of right. ultimate goals. Well, I think that one of the things that uh, working with the borderlands before, you know, was when I first started, I really focused on Texas where I had lived for 20, where I was living. I lived there a total of 20 years. and. And it was very kind of, you know, very much focused on that the southern border, what was happening in the Maquilas in northern Mexico, the femicides in Juarez, all of those issues. But the more I began to, to listen to what was happening in the borderlands and meet other borderlands people and talk to students from different contexts, this idea of indigenous religions came up. And mm -hmm. I began to listen now to another level of hearing. I began to pay more attention to the the sounds of this other theological language coming up and everything. And what it's done is, for example, my interest in Santa Muerte and how I try to tell, talk about that within the context of a seminary. Um, and how do I talk about that with audiences that are not 
that are Christian. I did a lecture, I think it was last year at SMU. I was invited by Perkins, uh, and it was a, <laughs> a Methodist audience, and I talked about Santa Muerte. Boy, they were not happy. <laughs> and so it was interesting after the lecture, you know, the people that came up to me, some of them were furious mm. uh, that I would take a Christian space to talk about a demon. Oh. And so it just tells me how much more we have to do to talk to our community, we as Latinx scholars, mm -hmm. of theology, of religion, of Bible, of ethics, of, you know, how much more we have to work with our communities, but also how much we have to work with the seminaries that we are preparing who will go to those parishes to be with those people as they struggle with these new realities, because the world is not just becoming more ecumenical, we want to use the word, or more multi-religious yeah. or interreligious. It's also becoming interreligious in ways that we are not used to. And one of the ways that it's changed, that now that you asked me that, I thought about, oh, I have begun to really think about more about history from under the rocks. You know what I mean? It's not obvious. So hmm. I've been doing a lot of work on prosperity gospel. Mm -hmm. and a lot of work on the different cults and the movements that were uh, kind of flowing during the 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s. The United States was a hotbed of all of these cultic movements. Madame Blavatsky, for example, mm -hmm. the Theophysist, you know, people speaking with the dead. Alan Kardec in Mexico had just come from Spain, and Espiritismo is taking over all of the Caribbean, including Puerto Rico and Cuba. Uh, but all over Mexico, you have Gnostic movements of the early 1900s, uh, in Mexico especially. So I've begun now, my radar is more in tune, is more attuned to those kinds of religious realities, and it's impacted the work and how I see the writing of history. Mm. Uh, and it's, uh, I think, I, I hope it's made me a bit more interesting <laughs> in terms of the stories, because these are fascinating communities. These communities are fascinating. And then not necessarily we're talking about the Jim Jones type of community. We're talking about communities that were surely esoteric, surely heterodox, non-normative, but who mattered. You know what yeah, I mean? They, yeah. they mattered. And they mattered to the United States. Mm -hmm. Those early new thought thinkers, you know, mattered. They mattered to what was happening in the country. They spoke to the country in ways that the pulpits, the Christian pulpits, were not speaking. So this for me has become a whole new area that's opened up, uh, beginning with this Borderlands idea. And I'm really glad about it. It makes me excited about the work that's still to be done and that, you know, that I think, you know, can be done. And I hope that this project will also, other colleagues and other students will excite them to begin to think about what they're doing or what they want to do with new eyes. Begin to look under those rocks where things have been mm -hmm. hidden for a while and do some of that excavation that will bring us a whole new a whole new body of literature and, 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 you know, ways of thinking about religion in this country. Well, it certainly sounds like uh, this in kind of rich and vibrant approach to this project, to, to your research and teaching, to the impact we might have upon our students and our colleagues in theological education uh, is certainly needed at this, in this day and age, where so much of the politics and the narrative uh, is narrowing, right? Uh, people don't want to know about the under-the-rock histories of our country. They want some kind of yes. mythical, ideological, yes, yes. idealistic 
perspective. They want the superheroes to come in, the Captain Americas to come in. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful and thankful. And please share any final thoughts that you want to be sure uh, uh, get laid out before us and how this project can have that kind of impact to remind us of where we've been as a country and where the, how the border can really enrich us and not be a place of fear. Uh, that's right. Well, I want to remind of those who hear this, this podcast, first of all, that many, many interesting things go unnoticed in the borderlands. Mm -hmm. Many interesting things go and remain unexamined in Nepantla. Mm. And this is the 21st century. It's about time we look there. I think mm -hmm. we can find a lot of interesting things. And I want to uh, remind them that the history of this nation, it's not a simplistic history of a Christian nation. It's a history of a religious nation mm -hmm. that was religious in many, many ways, and in ways that perhaps would frighten many Christians today, but it was religious that way. Mm -hmm. And we have, we have history about it. We have evidence. We have writings. We have material that was produced. We have arrivals that were held, people that were healed, all of these things, and they were not Christian. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, to re, to, I hope that this kind of conversation and history and the work that our project and our team is trying to do will inspire us to rethink what it means to be religious in the North American U.S. context. And I hope that we will have play, or be able to play a role to engage our, our colleagues and our different seminary partners in joining us with this kind of exciting investigation. I want to thank Dr. Daisy Machado for sharing, uh, for sharing your powerful and important insights and perspectives uh, on this topic of theological education in the borderlands. I look forward to working with you and our other colleagues yes. and moving this project forward in the coming months and years. I want to thank those of you who are listening to, to this podcast for uh, engaging us, and we look forward to our next discussion in this important series uh, as we move forward. Thank you all very much, and thank you again, uh, Dr. Daisy. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. And remember, history matters. <laughs> history matters. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Teaching Borderlands. The host of this podcast is Dr. Efren Agosto from New York Theological Seminary. Music was produced by Mrs. Naomi Cuellar and edited by Aidan Nathaniel Diaz. This podcast was made possible by the generous funding from the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning in Theology and Religion. You can find more about this project at artelegrinas.org.